What's up, everybody? Welcome back to You Think, brought to you by Audiorama. I hope you guys all had a great holiday weekend. Uh, just coming off the 4th, I know we did. We were able to get away and have some downtime. We, we have a rule in our house. We don't play sports on Mother's Day, Easter, Memorial Day, or the 4th of July. So 4th of July is one of those weekends we always have blocked that we don't play sports. We don't have tournaments. We try to get away and have some family time. So uh, it was a much needed, much needed break. We are on our way down to Florida, of course, for a baseball tournament. I'm going to bring in Tasha, our uh, producer here. It's a little bit of a change of change of pace here, Tasha. We are we have an entire episode today. We've been so so excited about the amount of interaction between our fans and the followers and the viewers, and we get so many Q and As, and we do a lot of them at the end of each episode. You know, two or two to four, whatever it is. But we had so many that we thought it'd be a really cool idea if we could just hear from the listeners and talk directly into the interests, the questions, the concerns. Um, and the feedback from our listeners. This episode of You Think is presented by Xmark. Xmark makes the official mower of the backyard life and is the brand that more landscape pros trust. Now, listen, I, I am not a great landscape guy at the house. I'm not the guy mowing his lawn, but I am the guy three, four times a week at our little church field in Charlotte that I rent for our baseball teams. I am sitting on an Xmark radius zero turn mower for the last year and a half. And it saves my life. Before that, I would hold the drags, you know, like those big metal grates, and I would hold the drags and I would pull them around the field like a mule. You know, I would just carry, I would just walk in circles to drag the field after we water it and make sure it's, especially in the summer when it's dusty and hard. So having this Xmark mower, being able to, to drag the field, edge the grass, you know, keep the grass in the outfield good, keep the lip between the dirt and the grass down so the kids don't catch bad bounces. It has made my entire life way easier running our baseball program. So thank you so much to Xmark for sponsoring today's episode. So today's episode, as everyone is recovering from a 4th of July weekend, we are just going to hear directly from our, our viewers and our followers. And we're going to take some time now to really, really dive into some of the, the questions that... Uh, that they have. So Tasha is going to be with us for the entire episode today. Woo-hoo. And Tasha, welcome. Did you have a good fourth? I had a great fourth. You know, I ate four hot dogs and two cheeseburgers, but really spread it out, you know, along the day. So you got to pace yeah, yourself. You're not, an, you're not an animal. Yeah, you're not an animal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to keep it right. Yeah. Come on, girl. Um, Come on. Yeah. And- well, good. I'm glad you had a good, glad you had a good weekend and uh, yeah. excited to have you now for a longer segment here on you. Th- Soon you're going to be like my co-host. You know, it's just I'm just speaking. For I don't the, hate. I'm just speaking for the audience. You know, I'm just just reading word for word what the people want to say to you, Greg. And it's a well, lot. You're the perfect person for. It. You're the perfect <laughs> person for it. So let's jump into it. What do you got? Yeah, we got a lot of fun fan questions today, and a lot of people really, Greg, just want to know advice about a lot of things. So if you submitted your question, um, listen in. You could also always submit questions on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter at Greg Olson or at Youth. Inc. And our first question is from Rari and they want to know at what age or grade should kids be allowed to play tackle football in your opinion? Well, very, very good first question. So, um, personally speaking, first and foremost, and then I'll get into my general philosophy. First and foremost, this will be my first year allowing my oldest son. So he just turned 11. Um, he is going to play tackle football. So this fall, we've started like summer practices a couple times, me and my dad and a couple 
friends. Actually, Luke Keekley is going to assist and coach with me, which is going to be super cool for the kids. So this will be our first time we've done flag football forever, um, every fall. And that's been a nice introduction to, you know, the baseline, you know, the basics, throwing, catching routes, defense, backpedals, you know, whatever. Um, but of course you're pulling a flag and you don't really know how much kids love football until it's real football, which is tackle and contact and whatnot. So our family made the decision that we waited a little bit. Um, so he's going to be 11, um, obviously this fall and we are going to, we're going to give it a shot and we'll see. I think he's going to like it. He likes the idea of it, but until we put on a helmet and he gets hit for the first time, we won't really know. But my overall philosophy as it pertained to my family situation is I believe that the, the first experience of football really needs to be a good one. If you have a bad first experience playing T-ball, a bad first experience with a coach, with basketball and you don't learn the skills or the practice isn't set up real well. And the next year you just put your kid on a different team and you just move forward. If you have a bad first experience in tackle football, you could never go back. And I never wanted my kid to have that as a risk. I wanted him to, if he didn't want to play football, that's fine, but it wasn't going to be because it was poorly coached. It was poorly run. They did stupid drills. He was put in harm's way, higher risk of injury, all of those things. And while I was playing and while my falls were very busy, I couldn't be around. I couldn't be at every practice. I couldn't, whether I was coaching or not, I couldn't just be there to observe and say, okay, he's in a safe environment. He's being instructed the right way, or this is a colossal disaster and it's going to be harmful to his development. Now that I have a little more freedom, I have a little more free time. Me and my dad are going to be a part of it. We're going to help coach the kids. We're going to help develop and introduce a lot of these kids have never played before. And my hope is that they can have a great first experience and then they can decide on their own whether football is for them, but it won't be because we made it a, a negative experience. We made it a dangerous experience. They got injured, whatever it was. I didn't want that for my kid. If done right, football is the greatest sport in the world, but it has to be done right. It has to be done by people who really know what they're doing. And that was all the factors that went into why we waited a little bit longer and why we're now going to play our first season this fall. So I will let you know as the fall unfolds, I will keep everyone up to speed on how it's going. Nice. Well, our next question is from Kevin on Instagram. And this is really good. He says, I'm a junior in high school right now. And Greg, I need your advice. I'm being recruited to play college hoops, but playing in the NFL has always been my dream. And I want to play on the football team my senior year of high school. But when people ask about it, they say I shouldn't do it. What do you think I should do? That's a tough one. I, I see both sides to this argument. I, I really do. Um, I understand you have an opportunity to be recruited. It doesn't sound like from the, like from the likes of it, his dreams to play in the NFL. I don't have the entire picture of whether he's being recruited to play football in college. It seems like he's only being recruited to play basketball. So I'm just going to operate like that's the situation. I don't know if that's exactly the picture, but I'll operate and answer the question in that context. If his heart is in football and he loves it, this will be the last time I hypothetically that he may ever play it. If he truly loves it and he's been on this team and he's played the first three years of school, I say, go for it. I say, play your high school senior year. If you love it, you may never play again. You'll never play football again, but you'll first never for sure. Never play high school football as a senior with your friends at your high school. And I know people say, oh, it's a huge risk. Everything in life is a risk. Every day you wake up, you take risk. You have to follow your heart. 
So bas- if basketball is your future, because that's where the colleges are coming, you'll never get this opportunity back to play multiple sports. You'll never get this opportunity to back and play football. I think back to my own personal situation. I committed to go play college football. I knew from the time I was in 10th grade that I was going to play college football. I was never going to play basketball. I was never going to play baseball. I was never going to play track and field, but I played three sports all the way until my high school graduation. Even though I knew every day I went on the basketball court, I could have gotten injured and jeopardized. I enjoyed playing the sport with my friends. It was a break from my full-time sport. We've talked about that a lot on this show. So I would say to him, if your heart is in it and that's your love and that's what you truly enjoy doing, play, don't have any regrets, take care of your body. And I hope to God, you know, anything could always happen, but I think anything could happen any day of our lives and we can't live in fear. And I would say, play, make the most of it, and then go on and give your college career playing basketball everything you got. Yeah, that's good. And people will always try to say what you should or shouldn't do too. So that's good. Yeah. And, and most of the time, the people that give you that advice have bias, right? I'm sure the basketball coach is saying, no, don't do it. Mm-hmm. This is, right? They all have their biases. So I think he's got to lean on the people closest to him. I think, and at the end of the day, he needs to follow his heart. I don't think you can live, you can make smart decisions, right? We don't want to be reckless, but you also don't want to live your life in perpetual fear that every day I could get injured. I can, you can't, you, you gotta be a kid. You gotta be an 18 year old, 17, 18 year old kid. Go play with your friends, do what you love. And hopefully things work out at the end. That's good. Next one's from Abby on Instagram. I have two monster boys who are 15 months apart. Should I try and keep the two boys on separate teams? Because I'm starting to wonder if my younger son is getting the short end of the stick by playing in his older brother's shadow. Any advice? That's this, this is a great question because this was the exact scenario with me and my older brother. So I was a little less than two years. We were only one grade apart, but we were a little less than two years, like 19, 20 months, whatever it was. So I always played up on his team when the age allowed it, you know, like every certain years you were like the older kid and then you would age up and then you'd be the younger kid. Cause it was like two year gaps until you got to high school, of course. So I, anytime I could, there was an element of me play up if I could handle it. And then there was the element of family ease, right? It made life easier if your kids play the same team. So I think there's two answers here. Yes, there is a selfish thing on behalf of parents where it's easier if both your kids play on the same team. It's easier if all your kids play the same sport right? There's a, there's an element of let's make our lives as easy as possible. And if they're all living a very similar schedule, it's easier getting them to and from practice. It's easier watching them play. You're not missing. So on the surface level, that makes a lot of sense. I would, my advice in this particular situation would be only do it. If your youngest child can really do it. If your youngest child's playing up and he's not really getting a lot of playing time, He's not playing a position that he can really develop at. And he's just the little brother who's on the roster, but he's not really getting any development. Then you have to put him on his own team because it's not in his best case long-term to not get the time to not be on the appropriate level team where he can play. He can get time. He can get practice reps. He can get time at certain positions where he can develop in his skills and, and make the most of his natural abilities. If the younger child is talented enough and driven enough that he can keep up and have a significant role, it's always better to play above 
your age group to play as high a level as possible. In the long run, that's best for you. So it really has to be made at a personal at a personal level where these parents say, am I helping or hurting the development of my youngest child? The answer to that tells you everything you need to know. If they're playing a significant role and they're contributing and they're developing and improving, stay status quo because it makes your family's life a lot easier. If they are getting the short end of the stick and they are not, they're, they're just only playing on that team because their brother's on it. If their brother wasn't on it, they would be on the lower team. Then you need to make the hard decision and it might make your life more complicated, but you've got to put your kid on that lower age team where he can then develop the skills and the time and the experience that's in his best interest. So that's a great question. That's a great perspective. I think a lot of families are going through that, um, but that's how I view it. Mm. My father, who's a college football coach, he always loves when he gets the younger brothers recruiting because he's like, if it's a younger brother, they're ruthless, right? They always had to compete with the older brother. He just, he always says he loves the younger brother. So sometimes it's good to have so them on true. the same team because they develop fast, like you Absolutely. were saying. The next one is- If they is, can handle it, it's great for them. Yeah, yeah. The next one's kind of a fun question from William on Instagram. He says, are you related to Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson? <laughs> no, they don't spell their name. I don't think, do they spell their name O-L-S-E-N or O-N? think it's is it en i think it's en uh, the answer is no um <laughs> you're not what was what was funny was growing up um people would like joke you know me and my older brother were very close in age and we weren't obviously twins but like we were similar in size and similar in look so like people would always joke like oh it's the olsen twin you know full house was like the biggest deal on tv mm -hmm. and whatnot so that was like a running joke we've heard for a long time, but no, I am I am not related to mm -hmm. the Olsen twins. I'm sure you had to sign an NDA and say no. They just don't want they don't want right. you guys to know you're related. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, I don't want exactly. to bring bring attention. You growing up on set of the Full House, you probably yeah, that's fine. Oh, it was, it was eye opening. <laughs> okay, the next one is from Emily Knox on Instagram. It says, "My daughter's basketball team is really good. They beat a team 78 to one recently. So my question is this." Would you coach your kids to turn down aggressiveness in a game like that? Because for them to recognize the situation and see how the other team may feel and reel it back or just go full force? I, I guess my first question would be, how old are they? Did it, did, it, did it say how old they were? It does not say, no. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think part of it would be, how old are they? Is it six-year-old girls' church basketball? Then, yeah, we got to probably tone it down a little bit. Um without knowing all the context, I think my, my biggest message would be, and this isn't necessarily just for the person asking the question and their daughter, but just the entire team. If you're a parent on that team and you're a coach on that team, maybe the conversation is, is there a different league tournaments organization, whatever, that we can take this group of girls and put them in that will be of like competition, right? I always feel like the answer to all these questions about competitive balance, everyone wants to make the good teams play worse and they want to make rules to help. All we need to do is be honest with our assessments of the individuals and then collectively of the teams and place teams and place players on the appropriate level team. There's something for everyone. There's like the uber elite level, competitive level of sports. And then there's the introductory developmental rec, church, people with limited experience and just kind of learning the skills. So we just need to look at the landscape and place these teams and place these players in accordance with their skill levels and their ability level and their experience levels. 
if we do that, then we don't need to go into games and worry about mercy rules. And, and, you know, you know, we, we had rules in one of our basketball leagues. Like when you're up by 25, you can't press and you can't steal in the backcourt. And like, they make up all these rules because they're so worried about competitive balance. Well, if we just made the teams play in like-minded situations where they're playing against other kids that are approaching it the same way, then everyone's on the same level. And they say, Hey, to the best team wins and you go. So that would be my like overarching philosophy on youth sports is I'm a big believer in placing kids at the appropriate level Mm -hmm. where they can achieve, they can play and they can compete against other similar minded kids. Um, winning 78 to one is, I don't know if I've ever heard that before. So I, I don't know exactly what, what, what happened. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm torn without knowing the context of what this league was. Is this two travel teams that are all, you know, dealing with the same, I find that hard to believe. So I, I don't know without making the, knowing the context of the situation, it's hard to make a final judgment, but my overarching philosophy is just that place kids and teams at the appropriate level whether it's the highest or the lowest so that they can always make sure they're playing against people relatively similar to them. And we don't have to make up all these stupid rules because we're worried about how much a team wins by or loses by because they're playing similar level talent. Yeah. The next one is from Scott Whitener on Instagram. He says, I played football in college and coached for a decade after my playing career. Okay, go off, Scott. Uh, My son is not interested in sports at all, though. And being honest, I'm having a hard time coming to terms with it. Do you have any advice for him? Yeah, you know, I get that from a human perspective. Like, there's nothing better than seeing your kids or sharing a love. And it doesn't have to be sports, right? If If you grew up with a love for cars or you grew up for a love for music or whatever it is to have your kids organically share a similar passion and love to you is a great feeling as a parent. So in that regard, like I get it, but I guess my biggest response would be like, if it's not for them, don't make it for them. Cause all you're going to do is make your life miserable, mm-hmm. right? I've been very upfront on this show. I have three kids with varying levels of interest in sports. You know, one wants to play every day and play against the best teams and fly all over the place. I have one that's middle of the road. Like he likes doing it, but he doesn't need to do it every day. He has other interests. He has other things that he's fascinated by and a little more of like a insightful mind. And then I have my daughter who is into 5,000 different things. And when she's playing sports, that's great, but she doesn't need to do it often. And, you know, and that's fine. I don't need my daughter to act like my son. I don't need my son to act like my daughter. I don't need them. They need to be them. And then it's our job as parents to put our own wishes and our own dreams and visions for them. That needs to be on the back burner. If your visions align, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's awesome. If your, if your vision, if your, if your visions don't align and your interests don't align, it's our job as the adults to find interest in whatever it is that your son or daughter is interested in. And now we can still share those moments together. It might not be something that comes natural to us, but it's easier for the adults, uh, not even easier. It's appropriate for the adult to change their interests to match their children, not expect your child to change their interests to match the adult. Yeah. That's a hard one though. Cause you want them to like what you like. I get it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's human instinct, right? We, we want the people closest to us to have shared interests and shared values. It's how we pick our friends. It's how we pick our social circles. Well, we don't get to pick our kids, right? Like they're your kids, whether 
they share your views or not. So it's it's hard. I get it. Yeah. The next one is what does your dream day look like as a dad or as a coach? What's the dream day for Greg Olson besides, you know, 4th of July? That's a good hot dogs. Yeah. Well, 4th of July sitting at the pool having a hot dog sounds pretty good. Um, you know, I think it it varies for each very similar to what we were just talking about for each kid. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, I, I think back to, you know, times that I've spent with different, with my different kids doing different things, but coming home at night being equally as excited and fulfilled and whatnot. Now, when it's also think, you know, so for example, with my, yesterday with my oldest son, we went to his baseball practice right after his baseball practice, we ran to his football workout. So, I mean, we were at the fields for like five hours and we came home and driving home in the car. He's like, dad, that was the best day. We got caught in like a driving rainstorm. We were running and raining. It was just mm-hmm. funny way to end the day, but he got in the car and he's like, dad, that was the best day because that's him that he shares a very similar approach to sports that I do. But then there'll be days that I'll spend with my daughter and we go do things that are of interest to her. Right. And for her, it's very simple. It could be a bike ride. It could be going down to the beach and walking and picking up seashells and then coming home. And she does like an arts and crafts thing and she builds them. And like, and then with my other son, it could be sports. Like there's days where he really wants to go and practice and do whatever. But then there's days where he wants to sit and like, look, he has this globe in his room and he'll be like, dad, quiz me on these countries. And like, he'll spin the globe and put his finger and I have to like quiz him on. So like they all have their individual creative minds and interests and whatnot. So I guess my dream day is like, if you spend time doing things with your kids that they love doing, that to me is the goal. Whether it's baseball, football, seashells. That is the cutest answer I've ever heard. Whatever. Like (laughs) if they like it, it doesn't mean I don't, I mean, do I want to make seashells? No. Will I make seashells because my daughter wants to walk the beach and pick up sea glass? Yeah, of course, because she wants to do it. Would I do that on my own? No, but that's part of being a parent. We do a lot of things we wouldn't do on our own. And that's the way it goes. That is the (laughs) cutest thing ever. Your dream day is your kid's dream day. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I just, I mean, it's not, no, don't get me wrong. We don't like live dream days every single day of our lives. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's days where... (laughs) We don't just say, hey, I don't want to seem like this is some fairy tale where it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We just like go from like we're living in la-la land. But like when you get those days where you do have that time to like really connect with them, do things they want to do, you're not being pulled in a million different directions. I have no other obligations. I have no no time frame of I got to be somewhere else. I got to wrap this up. Like, And you can just let the day unfold. Those are the best days. That's good. This one's from Rich on Instagram. What do you do as a parent when you notice a coach is overly reliant on one kid, meaning he'll play every minute of a hockey game? And how do you make sure this kid isn't being overworked? You know, again, I think this is a great question. I think my response to it would be, what is the context of this team? Is this, and I and I know I give this context a lot, but and I feel strongly about this, like, Every team, every organization, every league has different expectations. It has different levels. It has different, um, you know, different objectives, right? Is the objective of this particular league, is it a developmental league? Is this first-time players? Is it recreational? Are there playtime rules? Or is this a a team you had to try out for? And this is a team that you had Mm -hmm. to make. 
And next year, you're going to have to make it again. And the, if you sign up for this team, you're under you. The expectation is we're playing to win. We're playing to compete. We're playing to challenge ourselves to improve and get better. If you don't like that, then don't go to the tryout. So like my, my frustration with a lot of different things is people sign up for a team or a league and then they complain about it, right? Oh, this isn't competitive enough. Well, then don't come to this league. We're not like, yes, everyone's going to play a quarter. Everyone's going to play. You can't play the infield five innings in a row. You can't play four quarters of the basketball game, whatever the rules are. If you don't want your kid in that league, then don't sign up for that league. And then vice versa, you want your kid to make the best team in town, but then you complain that not everyone sits the bench. It's too competitive. Well, you signed up for a competitive team. You went to a tryout. 20 other kids were cut to make your spot on your team. And then you want to turn it into something it's not. So like that frustrates the hell out of me. Like you don't get to pick the rules of the team. You get to pick the team. Hmm. And then you have to say, I accept the rules. I accept the quality of play. I accept the expectations. And if you don't, then you got to find a different team. So in this particular case, if it's a competitive team and the, and the expectations when everyone showed up is, hey, we are going to play to win. We are going to play our best players. We are going to put in our players in the best case to succeed. Then I have no problem with it. Yeah, your best kids are going to play the most. Your best kids are going to get the ball. Your best kids are going to play quarterback and running back and shortstop and center field, and they're going to bat lead off. And that's, if you don't want that, then go find another league. There's a thousand different leagues. That's true. It's not, it doesn't have to be for everybody, but we can't sign up for a team that doesn't align with our own objectives and then try to alter that team to our views. It doesn't work like that. You need to find a team that aligns with your views and go play there. I, so that is like a huge frustrating point for me. Hmm. So in regards to this specific question, if it's the rec league and the only kid who gets the, the ball and he, yes, it, it's about developing the entire group and there's playtime rules and everyone entered this league knowing it was more developmental and instructional and it was less about the wins and losses and it was more like getting the kids acclimated to this particular sport. But then if it's the other end of the spectrum, yeah, that kid should pitch the most. Yeah. You're, if your kid's not a good pitcher, he shouldn't pitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but how do you know, how do you, you know if the kids overworked though? If they're on one of those teams. Well, I guess teams. it depends on the sport, right? Like, is it, is it, I guess, yeah, and hockey, football, maybe some of the more physical sports. Like, is it hard to give the same kid the ball at running back in 10U football 30 times a game? Yeah, it is. I, I think that's up to the parent. Again, yeah. like, if I'm the coach and you give me your kid, I have an, an obligation to do what's in the best interest of that kid. Like, mm. that's me personally. Yeah. Would I wear your kid down to the bone if I saw that they were, on the verge of being injured, or if I thought they were injured, like would I tone it back? Absolutely. No win or loss is worth jeopardizing a young kid's health, his body, his mindset. Like it's never worth it. But at the same time, if you didn't give the best kid the ball, that parent would be the first one to complain. Why didn't you give my kid the ball? Right? So if you gave him the ball two times, they're mad. And if you give him the ball 40 times, they're mad. So it's like, what, what is the number? Is it 12? Is it fit? So that's where it gets a little, again, it gets a little complicated. Knowing the context of the team and the expectations and the com competition level, I think makes a lot of that easier. Yeah. This one will be fun. What was one of your most embarrassing moments as a player or as a coach? Oh, man. 
how long do we got? I mean, I, I've had a lot of bad moments. I mean, anybody, I had, I had a rule that I used to tell the young guys, the only guys who don't have bad plays, the only guys who don't have bad games or don't have embarrassing moments are the guys who don't play. The guys who stand on the sidelines are heroes. I've never seen the backup quarterback this year throw an interception. He must be amazing. I saw the starter throw 10, right? Like the guy who doesn't play is everyone's hero. So I tell guys, mm-hmm. like, if you're going to, if, if, if a mistake or an embarrassing moment's going to crush you, you can't play. You'll never last. Cause the second you get on the field, that clock starts and it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen to everybody. It's just a matter, not of if it's a matter of when. So, I mean, I had a game my second year in the NFL, 2008, I was playing for the bears and I had a game where they threw me two passes. I caught them both. I fumbled them both and lost both fumbles. So I touched the ball two times in the game and both times I caught it, I gave the ball to the other team. We eventually lost the game. I felt like shit. Hmm. I was inside myself. I thought they were going to cut me. I mean, I was in my second year in the league. If that moment defined me and I gave in to, oh, this guy's a bust. We never should have drafted him. He stinks. He lost the game. If I would have bought into that, I wouldn't have played another 12 years. Right? So like, I've had a million, you know, embarrassing moments. I mean, it just, that's one that always sticks out at the mm. top of my head because that was a complete catastrophe. Yeah. But it happens. It's the way it goes. Did you ever have an embarrassing moment where you just did something silly and it was embarrassing in front of a coach or something? Do you ever fall on the field for no reason? <sighs> Slip. I know. I've never had like a physical embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I've, I've like, there's been times where I'd like, <laughs> I guess like off the top of my head, like <laughs> the ball was hit say, you know, uh, I'm trying to give like a specific experience. I think this happened this weekend. And I was like, why did you run? It was a fly ball. And like, you yell it across the diamond to the kid, like on first base, who's running to second and the right fielder catches it. And I'm yelling back, back, back. And then they're like, coach, there's two outs. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And like the whole stands is like easy, bud. You're like, you're yelling at, you're yelling the kid to get back and you don't even know how many outs there are. So like, you know, like, yeah, like little I mean, things like that. That's fun. You have to be able to, you have to be able to take it and roll with the punches a little bit and have a little humility and be able to laugh at yourself in order to keep yourself from going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Are you, the next question is, um, do you do any rituals? So are you a superstition kind of guy? Like, did you do any rituals before a game or believe anything? I didn't have any like rituals. Um, I had a lot of routine. Like I would call it more of a routine than it was like a ritual or superstition. Like I had a routine that made me feel like by the time the game started, I was both mentally and physically in the best place possible to play well. It didn't guarantee I was going to play well or it didn't guarantee the game was going to go according to plan. But I knew if I followed these steps that had been proven time and time again to be a great kind of routine leading up to being in a good place to walk on the field to play, that I would be in good shape now. What was the routine? Then the rest would take... What is the Olsen routine? Well, it's just like, like when I got to the locker room, like what I would do, like going in the hot tub, get stretched, get my IV, get, you know, put on t-shirt and shorts. Now go to the weight room, start with all my activation and my prep and make sure I was like baseline things were firing and aligned in the right way. Then I'd put on my cleats and I'd go out to the field with the backup quarterback and we'd catch and he'd throw me a million balls and I would simulate every single potential angle on the field that Mm -hmm. I would have to catch a ball and hand placement and visualize, okay, I've caught 50 balls now and we haven't even gotten to pregame warmups. Like I, I feel it. I'm in a good place. I'm tracking it, whatever. 
Then I'd go back inside. I'd finish all my prep. You know, now it'd be more of like running and like true activation to like go out and, and, and run and be physical, put my uniform on. So like stuff like that, mm-hmm. like there was a one step, step A led to B, B led to C. Step A wasn't to be ready by step Z. A was to be ready by B. And if I knew if I followed it at that time, I eventually would get to Z, which was the game, right? I, I tried never to like jump ahead, hmm. you know, walk in, put my uniform on, do a jumping jack and say, I'm ready to play the game. No, you're not ready to play the game. You haven't touched the ball. You haven't acted. You, you've done nothing to prepare yourself physically or mentally to go play for you to have an expectation of playing well is unfounded. So I was a big believer in my routine during the week. I was a big routine believer in my routine leading up to game day. Um, and I tried to replicate that as consistently as possible. Hmm. The next one's from Kendra on Instagram. How do coaches and parents make sure kids don't overcommit themselves? I think in today's world, that's hard. I think in today's environment, that's a huge challenge because everybody wants to be everywhere at the same time, right? You want your kid to play every sport. You want your kid to be on every team. You want your kid to never be left out. So as you kind of overcompensate and you're like, well, if we don't play this fall baseball season, he might not make the team. So we're going to play fall baseball, but we're also going to play football and we're right. And you find yourself trying to be, you know, everything to everyone at all times. And I think that's a, that's a huge challenge and it's a burden everyone faces. Um, I don't have the magical answer because I find myself running around to a hundred things too. So by no means are we, you know, have, you know, have it all figured out. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you can always fall back on what does your kid really want to do? Mm-hmm. Like you, and you can tell, I don't care what they say. What does your kid really enjoy doing? What does your kid want to allocate their time to? That always at the end of the day is the easiest fallback default for all of this. If your kid loves doing it, do it. It's as simple as that. And, and you'll know when they're young, it's a little harder, but by the time they get to 12, 14, they start, entering middle school, high school, you'll know, they'll make it very clear when they want to and when they don't want to do something. Mm. This one, we all know you're a sports guy. I love sports. Everyone listening probably loves sports, but this fan wants to know what's something you're passionate about that isn't related to sports. The eyes. (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I am the first to admit, I don't have a ton of hobbies. Um, and I don't have a lot of hobbies that aren't sport. <laughs> I guess podcasting. I don't know. Is that a hobby? You tell me. <laughs> um, I try not to make it a hobby. I don't know. Like I'm just not a real hobby guy. And if I do do things like casually on the side, they're typically sports. Um, you know, I'm not like a car guy. I mean, I enjoy music. I can't play an instrument. I like, I, you know, I can't sing. I enjoy, you know, so like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have any, <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that I do that's not involved sports. Um, um, I guess you guys went to a couple concerts, right, as a family? Are you passionate about I like music. Yeah, like, okay. I like music. I like, I like going to concerts. I like listening to music. and li- like, So, yeah, I enjoy that. But, like, I'm not composing and writing lyrics to songs or playing an instrument or, like, singing on yeah, I love karaoke, but that's not a hobby. But I will karaoke my ass off at a karaoke bar. I think that's a good passion, karaoke. We'll have to have an episode where you just I love karaoke. It. I don't do it. I don't fans. do it often. I don't do it often, but I love What's it. What's your go-to karaoke song? 
It depends on the vibe. Like if you're at like, if I'm at a country bar, like a country music ish bar, Nashville or somewhere like that, where I think there are country music fans, I'll go sold by John Michael Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Do you know that song? No. Sing some of it. Sold to the lady in the long black dress where she won my heart. It was no contest with the ruby red lips, blonde hair. That is like a very popular song. Sounds fast. I appreciate your. It, is it like that's a banjo the idea. song? The idea is, no, it's like a fast, upbeat song. When we get done with this, you got to play it to yourself and you're going to love it. All right, great. And uh, it's like a fast, upbeat song. And if you can pull it off because there's a billion words, people are like, holy shit, how does the guy know all the lyrics to this song like off the top of his head? If it's a little more of like a casual scene, then I go Jack and Diane. Oh, that's which a I, good one. Of course, one. you know Jack yes, and yeah, Diane. Yes, that's good. Yeah, so that that's gets a little the people more going. like play it safe. Yeah. yeah, that's a play it safe. You know, you don't want to play a song that maybe not everyone knows and like looking like, what the hell is this guy saying? Right. Um, so I have a few options. I'm very versatile. It's a passion, I think. I think that you're passionate. Passion. Versatility. <laughs> karaoke. The next one is from Josh. He says, can you talk about the impact coaching has on the coach's spouse? And he wants you to get Kara on the podcast as well. I, I do have to get Kara on the podcast because I think her perspective of watching me, you know, we met freshman year in college. So now she's kind of seen me from that day till today. You know, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, player, parent, dad, coach, husband. Um, so yes, I, we are going to get Kara on this podcast, even though she hates talking publicly. She doesn't like like being in the mix. That's just not her thing. But I'm going to force her against her will to come here. Um, it, it Coaching the spouse of a coach is a challenge. Right. Of course, the higher it gets, uh, you, you, know, you probably see it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a parent who's a, who's a coach, and again, I'm talking, you know, at a higher level, you know, college, of course, professional, even high school, right? like to do it right. It's a very time consuming endeavor. It is all encompassing of almost, it's almost like every fabric of their body, every minute of their day, either mentally or physically is being occupied by the idea of coaching and, and developing and, and doing these kids. It, the best coaches I've been around have had that mindset. Um, the, the, the wife, the husband, you know, the, based on the, the situation, they take the brunt of it, right? Mm -hmm. They pick up the slack at home. They deal with the grouchy coach who shows up and, you know, takes it down on everyone at the house. And they can't like the, the spouse always takes the brunt of, of everything. So being the, the, being the, the, the spouse of a coach is not easy. It's not for everyone. Um, they, you know, they always say, you know, in the NFL, like a coach's wife or in college football, a coach's wife, that's a special woman. Like she, they're strong, they're independent. They, they, a lot of times they're kind of carrying the load of the family at home while, you know, the, he's off coaching or whatever. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a strain on families. Um, you know, I can think of a thousand examples off the top of my head. It's, it's not for everyone, but even at the young age, like coaching young kids sports now, like, I'll come home and I'll be mad about a practice or about a game or I should have done this or I should have done better at this. And she's like, can we stop like enough? And I'm like, I can't help it. Like, it's so frustrating to put all this time in and we don't, and you take it, you know, and they're your sounding board mm -hmm. and that's who you express all your frustrations to. So yeah, I mean, it's not easy being the spouse of, of someone who's very passionate about something. And for the, you know, for the purpose of this conversation, that's being a coach. So I, I get it. All right, Josh, you heard it from Greg. Kara will be on the podcast, so stay tuned. She's coming on. Um, this is our very on. last fan question today, and it's right. from Renee on Instagram. It says, my son is one of the top male gymnasts in the country. 
He's so driven, but parenting a kid who is really good is so hard and they feel like they're struggling. If you have any advice for them, what would that be? And what do you think Michael Gervais would say about this as well? Well, I'm glad you brought up Michael Gervais because his episode is one that we still like resonates through all of our listeners. It was our first episode and it's still one of our most highly watched, uh, highly viewed most response, most, you know, kind of people just have really gravitated towards that. We are very happy that I actually talked to to Dr. Gervais not too long ago. He is going to be back on here uh, this season of You Think. We're going to have him back on as kind of a recurring guest and be able to answer a lot of these questions better than maybe I could. And well, not maybe, definitely better than I could. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have Dr. Gervais on. As far as this particular question, you know, I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge of this, right? I have very young kids. So like the idea of being very good at anything is all relative because they're nine, 11. Um, but in, in the case of this example, I guess my, my feedback to you would be the better your kid gets, the more toxic everything around him can get, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be jealousy. There's going to be ego. There's going to be other kids. You know, in this case, it's gymnastics. It's a, a little more of a individual sport, but you're going to have kids at the same gym that are going to say he gets preferential treatment and that he's getting, you know, the right coaches and he gets, he's only lucky because he has these certain times in the gym. And there's going to be a million reasons to why your kid is better than somebody else's kid. You're going to hear it from the kids and you're going to hear it, especially from the parents, the better your kid gets, the bigger the target is. And as parents, we need to be very good at not being so wrapped up in fighting every one of those battles right? We can't spend all of our time and energy trying to put out all those fires. And all of a sudden now you're not there supporting your child. If your child is passionate about something and they're very good at something, our time and energy needs to be spent on supporting that, not worrying about all the outside noise that's going to continue to come, whether we like it or not, the better your child becomes at something. It's the nature of our society. It's the nature of our world. People that are on top get shot at. People that are on top get attacked. People that are on top, people want to point out every single reason to why they're on top and I'm not. So my advice to them would be, as long as your child wants to continue to play and pursue at this high level, encourage them, support them, keep pushing them forward as long as they want to do it. But in this case, it sounds like they do. All the stuff that comes around parenting a successful child, whether it's sports, academics, whatever it is, is hard. It sounds easy, but it's actually the opposite because with that comes a lot of other stuff. So do your best to ignore that. Do your best to focus everything on what's in the best interest of your child and their ultimate dream, which in this case is to continue to pursue gymnastics at a high level. Everything else is just noise that at the end of the day will have no impact on your family. It has no impact on your relationship with your child unless you allow it to. Um, and I think we're all guilty of that at different levels, but I think that would be my biggest piece of advice for navigating that in this particular, but we're going to ask Dr. Gervais because I'm sure he's got a better perspective than I do. Yeah. Excited to have Dr. Gervais back on the show. And once again, thanks yep. everybody for submitting fan questions. You could always submit to Greg Olson or at you think on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And that's it for all the fan questions today. I think you killed it. Greg. I appreciate it. Tasha, it was nice. Well, thank you. Yeah. It was nice having you on for so long. This was this was a blast. And thanks for being on. I hope people enjoy this special edition of, of uh, You Think. And again, as always, you can rate, review, subscribe, wherever you guys get your pods. Um, continue to submit your fan questions to us. You can make the show. 
And uh, Tasha, thank you again for joining us. And until next week, we'll see you guys then. Thank you. Thank you.